Good morning. How you doing? I wish I could see you. I wish I could be with you. We've, I know we've it's been a long season. We thought this was going to be a couple of weeks, and now we're, you know, weeks and weeks into this, and, and it's, uh, it's difficult. It's difficult for everybody. It's difficult in a lot of different ways, and I thank you for your faithfulness. Uh, if you're watching today, either you might be watching right now at uh, 9.48 on Sunday morning. You might be watching this later in the week. Thank you so much for joining with us. It's a great privilege as we continue to pray for those that are struggling uh, because of this coronavirus, either because of loss of job, loss of uh, uh, family members. Uh, there's all kinds of difficulties that are going on. So I just continue to pray. Uh, I would encourage you to reach out to one another. The Bible says encourage one another and build each other up just as you are doing. That this is one of the key things that, that we have to do that. Give Christ that we can encourage each other and be a blessing to each other. And I would encourage you to do that, to be a blessing to each other. So today we're going to talk about, as we continue the life of David, <clears throat> we're going to talk about avoiding costly mistakes. And that is, may sound similar to what we talked about last week, if you even remember what we talked about last week. Uh, last week we talked about how to recover from costly mistakes. So it, this seems backwards, uh, that we should have talked about how to avoid before it, we talked about how to recover. But this is actually how, how the story plays out in the life of David. So we're, we're taking this, you know, somewhat chronologically. Have you ever done anything really stupid? Uh, or have you done something that you really regretted doing once you had done it? <laughs> more, than, more, yeah, more than once, I'm, I'm hearing. Maybe something you knew, you knew better that you shouldn't have done but you did it anyway for, what, for whatever was the motivation. And that's the situation that David is in. This is toward the end of his life. It's chronicling an event of him purchasing what becomes the site for the temple. So this is the story towards the end of his life. He's preparing to build the temple, and God's already told him that he can't build it, that Solomon is, is going to be his son who's going to, to succeed him, is going to build it. And so he is preparing for that, and God is preparing the way also. So he's going to, to buy uh, the property that is actually where the temple is going to sit. So First Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So Satan tempted David to take a census. Now, here's what I want you to realize about this. We are always at war. We will always be tempted. Just because David was old, just because he was mature, uh, it's an enemy who is out for our destruction. He wants us to fail and fall, be an embarrassment to, to God. Just as when David failed in his sin with Bathsheba, how it was an embarrassment not only to him, but it brought shame, God said, to the name of the Lord. So, so we need to recognize that we have an enemy who wants us to fail and falter and embarrass ourselves and embarrass the church, embarrass the people of God, so we can never let down our guard. And what we see from this is that spiritual maturity doesn't stop it. David was very spiritually mature. Uh, old age doesn't stop it. 
So we have to be aware. We are always at war. We're always under siege. 1 Peter 5, 8, Peter said this, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So Satan is looking for someone to bring down and with it, bring down as many people as possible. The battleground where Satan leads us to send the battleground that David had is in his mind. We fight a battle in our minds, our thoughts, our fears. A lot of people right now are really struggling with fear because of the coronavirus, the number of people that are dying, the number of people that are infected, so they're battling fears. God wants to help you deal with the fears in your mind, your thoughts. This is the battleground. Then we also have our motivations, what motivates us to do what we do. And a lot of times the Bible tells us we don't understand that. We don't even know why we're motivated. And then the desires. Sometimes we're motivated by passions, things that we want to do. And we read in the Psalms, that, man, that David was a man that had an incredible amount of spiritual maturity and insight into the very purposes and nature of God. In Psalm 22, which I think is a very exciting psalm to read, is we can see that David had a glimpse of Jesus on the cross. Psalm 22, verse 1 is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so, so far from saving me? Which is the words of Jesus on the cross. In verse 16, It describes Jesus on the cross. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are in display. People stare and gloat at me. They divide my clothes among them and they cast lots for my garment. David was a man who had had insight into the kingdom and into the nature and purpose and plan of God that few people had, yet he was still susceptible to to sin. So if David was, we are. David was a man who had, you know, tremendous experiences where he had experienced God do tremendous things for him. He had a tremendous history, but your history will not prevent you from doing stupid things in the present, just as it didn't prevent David. Uh, So we, we have to be aware of that. He let his guard down and he fell into temptation and into sin. We're always at war. We have to remember that. We're always at war. And if we forget that, we will fail and fall, or fall and fail, either one. Verse 2, so David said to Joab and the commanders of his troops, go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan, then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. So he's saying, I want you to go and count basically the men of war. Who are the men that are of, of age to go to battle and fight for Israel? Now, it wasn't wrong to take a census. Uh, God actually gave instructions to Moses on how to take a census. He said in Exodus chapter 30, verse 12, he says, when you take a census. So it wasn't that it was wrong. I mean, we have a, we have a book in the Bible called Numbers. God's not against numbers. Uh, but it was the motivation behind it. Sometimes we don't understand the unseen motivation behind what we're doing. When you take a sentence of the Israelites to count them, each one must pay the Lord a ransom for his life at the time he is counted. Then no plague will come on you when you number them. So I want you to notice, God says, okay, I want you to, I want you to pay a ransom for his life. In other words, I want you to, when you're counted, I want you to give something. This was later considered a temple tax. It was a half shekel. 
we don't have any real good way of determining that value uh, today. Probably be, uh, of what it would be valuable, but the commentators that I read said it would probably be, you know, just a couple of dollars. So that everyone who was counted then was supposed to give, pay a half shekel tax as a ransom, as a declaration. Anytime we give to God, when we give to God, when you pay your tithe, we're paying our tithe, we give to God as a declaration that God owns it all. We give as a declaration that my life is not my own. So they're paying a ransom for their life. So they're saying, we are the nation of Israel. We are the people of God. We are the chosen of God. We're not our own. God set us apart. God called us. And so we're paying this because we're declaring that we are God's. And we do that. So apparently those instructions were ignored and they didn't take up the temple tax. They didn't to collect the money, and they, they messed up. You see, it had to be done according to God's instructions. Our victories in life don't become, come because of our own strength. They come because we have a strength that comes from the Lord. David didn't kill a lion and a bear and a giant and then run from Saul successfully, and then defeat the Philistines, and then establish a kingdom because he was stronger. He did it because he learned to trust in God. When he faced Goliath, he did it with a sling, not because he had superior strength or weapons, but because he had trust in God. He wasn't dependent upon a greater army because God was his army, but now he's counting his troops like he's dependent upon the number of troops that he has to win the battle. He, that was never his source of strength, was the numbers. So we have to realize that we're in a battle. And then if you want to avoid costly mistakes, we need to learn to listen to wise counsel. And we've talked about this. I talked about last week and the week before that. Listening is so important. And uh, it's, it's so difficult uh, for many of us. And I appreciate how many of you came to me and talked about how I talked about how hard it is for me to listen to my wife and how you brought that back up to me. I don't preach these sermons for you to preach them back to me, okay? <laughs> but Joab replied, may the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over. My Lord the King, are they not all my Lord's subjects? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? So somehow Joab could see the motivation in his old king that he had served for many, many years, and he could see that they were less than correct, that there was something wrong about them. He could see that the motivation wasn't right. So Joab bravely says to the king, hey, let's don't do this. And, you know, a lot of times we can avoid costly mistakes if we'll listen. I mean, listen to the people around you that love you and have your best interest at heart. Children, teen, you know, the Bible says this clearly, honor your parents, listen to your parents. And here's the thing about your parents that you don't get. They've, the reason they're trying to help you is because they've done some really stupid things. And they haven't t told you all the details because they're embarrassed. They don't want to tell you all the details. But they've made some really big mistakes that they would really like to protect you from. 
if they possibly can. And so they, they, they may tell you things, and you may think, well, they don't know what they're talking about. They're old. And, uh, you know, when you're, you always talk like that, that's the younger voice. Hey. <laughs> so God gives you parents to help you navigate challenging times of life. Husband, you need to listen to your wife. You know, God looked down on you and said, hey, this boy needs some help. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to give him a, a woman that, he's, that he'll listen to. How about this? Wife, you need to listen to your husband. Oh, wait a minute. Did he say that? Yes, I said that. How about this? Church, the church should listen to their pastor. I mean, actually, that's why you have a pastor, right? And so you should pay attention. Proverbs 1.5 says this, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. So if you want to avoid costly mistakes, often before you make a big decision, you make a big purchase, you make a big change in life, it's often good to, to ask someone who loves you, seek godly counsel. David avoided that. He kind of did an end run around it, even though Joab said, hey, wait, 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 wait. He ignored that. And so it became for him and for the nation of Israel, a costly mistake. Also, if we want to avoid costly mistakes, we want to think about who we're trying to impress in our life. Do we want to impress God? We want to impress God, not people. Verse four, the king's word, however, overruled Joab. So Joab left and went throughout Israel and then came back to Jerusalem. And Joab reported the number of the fighting men to David. And all Israel were 1,100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. Now, you know, these are impressive numbers. This is a, a 1.6 million almost fighting men. So why did David do this? I mean, why do we do stuff? Why do we, why do we make costly decisions? Well, we do it for ego. We do it because something about it uh, gratifies us. It builds us up in our, we're, you know, we all tend to be looking for things that give us value and so there's something about it. It's, it. It builds up our ego. There's been a lot of things that we've, we've all done because it made us feel good about ourselves. Uh, is it pride? You know, look that he can, you know, boast to the other kings around, you know, you know, look how great Israel is. Look how great our army is. Is it insecurity? A lot of times we're acting out of ego and pride because we're actually covering up insecurities. But, you know, David's security wasn't, it shouldn't have been in David. Our security shouldn't be in us. Our security is in Christ. So a lot of times we're trying to derive our security from the wrong things. And so we're, we're doing ego-driven things and pride-driven th things to impress others. And, you know, to feel good. You know, maybe he's wanting to look back over his life and feel good about his accomplishments. So look what, you know. Look what I've accomplished. Saul had only had a standing army of about 200,000. So David is, you know, looking back. Well, when Saul was king, he had 200,000 in his army, but now I've got 1.6 million in my army. Uh, here's a reality. You know, God's not against you feeling good about yourself. I mean, God doesn't want to push you down. He doesn't want you to be, walk around in shame and guilt and fear and agony. 
But he wants you to recognize that you're not the source of all those accomplishments. He wants you to recognize that, that the strength to do it, the wisdom to do it, the ability to do it, the, the opportunity to do it, the life to do it, all came from him. He wants you to boast, not in yourself, not in your accomplishments, but he wants you to boast in the Lord. It's like the farmer, you know, who had, who had, who had gotten a, a farm, uh, you know, and had, had to take this rough piece of land and remove the trees from it and then get all the stones out of the pasture so that he could, so that they could farm that land. And so some, somebody is commenting to him one day about how great the farm that he has and uh, that God's given you this farm. And he said, well, you should have seen it when God had it all by himself. Yeah, he, yeah. Well, did he do it? Yeah, he did it, but he did it with the strength that God gives. He did it with the ability that God gives. He did it with the life that God graciously gave him. It is a, life is a gift. It's, it's not an obligation. And so that's what David was operating outside of is that he was, he was wanting to take credit for something that God had done. Here's what God says in Corinthians. But let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it's not the one who commends himself is who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Who is approved then? Not the one who approves himself. Look how great I've done. But the one who's, who God says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. So we want to live, you know, to not impress people, but to, to impress God. And if we do that, if we live to impress people instead of impressing God, we'll make costly mistakes. We'll buy things we can't afford to impress people we don't even know. Uh, just think about the things that, that maybe in your past, hopefully it's in your past, that you've done to impress the people that you were with in that moment. So that the people that you were with in that moment would be in awe of you, or they would think you're cool, or whatever is the correct lingo. <laughs> Probably not cool. Uh, uh, <laughs> right? That's uncool. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. It's an being, being in a, a crowd is easy for us to be misled, often all of us, because we're wanting to fit in. We're wanting to get approval of people. We desire the, the approval of people. It's not a bad thing, but we do think we desire the approval of people more than we desire the approval of God. We'll sometimes say and do things, we'll, we'll make costly mistakes. As followers of Christ, <clears throat> we're not called to follow culture. We're, followed to lead, we're called to lead culture. God wants us to take the lead. He wants us to be bringing the kingdom into the earth. 1 Peter 2.12 says, live such good lives among the pagans. You know, your, your neighbors and your relatives. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. So, we want to live to impress God, not impress people. 
When you've made a costly mistake, the, the best thing to do, and I've said this many, many times, I want you to get this, is as soon as you realize you've made a mistake, stop what you're doing. Because the sooner you stop, the better. Verse 7, this, commander was, this command was also evil in the sight of the Lord. So he punished Israel. So <laughs> Joab didn't like it. And then verse 7 says, God didn't like it either. So he punished Israel. Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. Now here's the thing about forgiveness. We serve a great and gracious God who has paid a great price for our salvation. And grace means that we're saved by grace, that not of ourselves is a gift of God. It's not based on our works that saves us, and it's not our works that keep us saved. So because of that, if we're not careful, we can, we can take sin lightly with an attitude, well, you know, God's going to forgive me anyway. So what's the big deal? Jesus already paid the price on Calvary for my sin, so where we are, we need to not take sin lightly. And often it can be a, a point of deception for us where we are presuming upon the goodness of God. Just because God will forgive you, it doesn't mean that there are no deadly consequences. And that's what we'll see in the life of David. Galatians 6, 7, you know this, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. He cannot be mocked. What a man sows, I was getting it backwards. What a man sows, he's going to reap. Then the Lord said to Gad, verse 9, David's seer. So there's a prophet of God that God talks to, and he says, go and tell David. This is what the Lord says. I am giving you three options. Choose one of them for me to carry out against you. So Gad went to David and said to him, this is what the Lord says. Take your choice. Three years of famine, three months of being swept away before all your enemies with their swords overtaking you, or three days of the sword of the Lord Days of plague in the land. You notice that? Days of plagues, plague in the land. With the angel of the Lord ravaging every part of Israel. Now then decide how I should answer the one who sent me. David said to Gad, I am in deep distress. Let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. But do not let me fall into human hands. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel. And 70,000 men of Israel fell dead. God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem. But as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it and relented concerning the disaster and said to the angel who was destroying this, the people, enough, withdraw your hand. The angel of the Lord was standing then at the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So this seemingly innocent mistake, going against the word of the Lord, not doing the census according to God's way, even pushing ahead when other people were telling him, you don't need to do this, this, this mistake was causing 70,000 of those fighting men of Israel lost their lives. They died in a plague because God's way ignored. Exactly what Exodus 30 said. If you, you need to do this God's way so that the plague will be, there will not be a plague. They didn't do it God's way and there was a plague. And 70,000 thousand fell. It was a costly mistake for David. 70,000 because he wouldn't receive correction. 
Now, that's horrible. 70,000 people died. So in the midst of this bad news and consequences for bad decisions, I want to tell you some good news. In Christ, the wrath of God due to each of us because we didn't follow every little jot and tittle of the Word of God, of the law, in Christ has been satisfied because of his death and resurrection. There is no wrath of God on you any longer. The wrath of God that is due each of us because we're sinners, the wrath of God that is on us because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, that all of us fall short, the wrath of God due us, has been satisfied by the sacrifice of Christ's life, his death on our behalf on the cross and his resurrection. Romans 5, 6 tells us this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you and me. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love toward us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. How do we know that God loves us? What, you know, how can we be convinced in our sin, in our foolish mistakes? For How do we know that God loves us? We know that God loves us because Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love. He makes his love visible. He makes his love plain. He makes it knowable that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? We're saved from God's wrath through Jesus Christ. There are still earthly consequences to the sins that we set in motion, but here's what I want you to get. God is not mad at you. The wrath of God has been satisfied by Christ's, Christ's perfect sacrifice. Instead of getting what we deserve, because the wages of sin is death, we all deserve death. Instead of getting death, Christ got what we deserve Christ got our death, and we get what he deserves. We get his life. We get grace. You know what grace is? Grace is, is getting what you don't deserve. Getting the gift of grace, receiving the gift of salvation, getting what you don't deserve. And we get mercy. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. We get grace, we get mercy, we get fellowship, we get fellowship with God. We, we don't, no longer have to run and hide like Adam and Eve in the garden covering themselves with fig leaves because they're afraid of the presence of God because they know they've sinned. We know we've sinned, but we know this, our sin has been covered fully and completely by the blood of Christ. 
We are sinless before God. So when I sin, God doesn't love me less. Christ, when I do something really good, God doesn't love me more. He loves me the same because he loves me through Christ. And now I have sonship. I have forgiveness. 1 Peter 2.10 says this. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. I want to tell you that's the good news. The good news in Jesus Christ is that even though you and I did not fulfill every little part of the law, that you and I have made costly, stupid mistakes, because of Christ, we get mercy. It may feel like it's too late for you, but it's not. You may feel like that what you have done is unforgivable. But Christ's sacrifice was for every sin that ever had been sinned and every sin that would be sinned. His sacrifice was perfect. Your, what you have done, is not beyond the ability of God to forgive You may think when you look at your life, because you don't love you, you can't believe that God loves you, but God demonstrates his love for you. Christ died for you because he loves you. Jesus took it all for you so you could receive his mercy. And even if you, like David, have made a stupid mistake, like There's not a lot of us in this room, but most of us in this room agreed that we've all made stupid mistakes, costly mistakes. We've done things that we're ashamed of and embarrassed of, but even in the midst of that, God took his wrath away in Jesus so that we could become the sons of God. Let's pray together. Because like in Jesus' name, We're so thankful for what you accomplished because like David, we've messed up. We haven't followed every little part of the law. We've missed steps. We've acted out of our pride and our ego and our need for esteem and our need for approval and our our need for the love and acceptance of people. We've acted out of of all kinds of wrong motivations. But Lord, we failed, but you didn't. You came and lived the perfect life that we couldn't live so that we could receive from you the perfect sacrifice so that our sins, which are many, could be washed away. So, Father, I know that there's some people thinking today they've gone too far. Help them to realize that they they can never go outside your ability to forgive. It's never too late. It's never too great. Your love and sacrifice covers it all. Jesus paid it all. Amen. It's good to be with you today.